You're listening to Connecting the Universe from Mike Ricksecker and ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Welcome, everybody, to Connecting the Universe. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker, back at you with our third class of the year. And uh, this is, uh, well, we have one more week next week until off to Egypt, which will uh, which will be two weeks. So we have a couple of weeks there where, where we will be off. I'll let you guys have all those details next week. But just to note, uh, next week will definitely be a uh, an Egypt preparatory class and then of course we'll be doing an egypt recap when uh we come back so uh just give you a little heads up there and uh all right so for those listening to the podcast version of this later please join us every wednesday night eight o'clock p.m eastern time for the full connecting the universe experience on connecteduniverseportal.com 30-day free trial of course which gives you access to about well, this Weekly Connecting the Universe Interactive class, sneak peek and behind the scenes videos, monthly Q&A videos, which we will be having one of those here very soon. Uh, exclusive articles, insider travel blogs, including ancient Egypt, America, Southwest, Ireland, and more, of course, much more coming uh, from ancient Egypt here very soon. All this and more at the ConnectedUniversePortal.com. All right. So now let's take a dive into the secret library of the Connected Universe. All right, so we are covering interdimensional ETs tonight. Yeah, uh, I know we've kind of bounced around this before, but uh, we had a really interesting conversation here on on Saturday during the live Mike's Morning Mug, where this week I was going to do really kind of straight shadows because of the recent uh, Gaia interview uh, with Regina Meredith, Open Minds. And I decided after the uh, interaction that we had on Saturday to take a little bit of a different turn. We're still going to work in some talk about uh, shadows and other types of entities. You'll see where this goes. All right. So class question for tonight was, what's the one question you would ask an extraterrestrial or an interdimensional being? So we had quite a few responses here. The first couple uh, were quite similar. Jen said, can't do just one. Where are you from and why are you here? And Alina said, well, the first thing I would like to know is who they are exactly and what their purpose is. So basically, (laughs) that's the same two questions worded a little bit differently. Uh, Tom McNicholas kind of joked around a little bit. He said, other than being totally shocked, I may utter something like my usual joking, do you prefer Coke or Pepsi? Yeah, <laughs> that would be interesting to know. Okay, if if they had, uh, you know, if they had soft drinks there, what type of what type of drinks do they like? Well, there, you know, there's the um, the the pancake story from Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, Sarah said, uh, "What is it like where you are from, or how can I reach you?" And that's you know kind of the vein that that I would take. Um, not so much how can I reach you, or maybe you know how can I reach the planet, but uh, I would be wanting to to say something. All right, can can you you know break out your cell phone and show me some pics of your planet? I mean that that's what I would be uh, you know really interested in is you know show me what it's like there. So uh, you know just you know whip through your phone, <laughs> which who knows if they have a phone, but whatever you'd be able to view photos on. Uh, Rocky, who is Mark Anthony's manager, this is off of Instagram, 
said, can you give our planet cures for disease in longer lifespan? So um, just, you know, shout out there to Mark Anthony. Uh, check out his uh, book, The Afterlife Frequency. He's also going to be part of Shadow Dimension Season 2 as part of Season 1. Uh, but yeah, Rocky said, can you give our planet cures for disease in longer life? And um, I guess it's kind of the, you know, assumption that we've made that a more intelligent civilization that has known how to traverse the stars they've come across the cosmos to our planet you would think that they would know you know better how to keep their people healthy and alive in these sorts of things that they would have cures for diseases um and would be able to help us in that regard the one uh caveat i would throw on there is uh their species is likely has a much different physiology than ours in different uh, viruses and bacteria probably react differently to their bodies than ours. So while they may have a uh, vast amount of cures for their illnesses for their race and civilization, it may not be so true of you know giving us like a, a medicine that they would use. It might kill us, it might be poisonous to us, you know, <laughs> we don't, we don't know. And maybe that's why when you hear about these different um, abduction scenarios and some of these different medical tests and things like that, you know, maybe that's one of the things that they're trying to figure out. Don't know. Um, it's it's kind of speculative. And so Sarah says, these entities seem to know how to manipulate space in multiple dimensions. We're going to get into that this evening. But on the way there, we're going to recap a little bit from last night, or last night, <laughs> last week. Uh, James Webb Telescope. Now, you guys probably remember the article that uh, that I mentioned last week, which was uh, James Webb Telescope is finding too many early galaxies. And I showed this graphic here, uh, which was... You know, from that article, it was interesting. Uh, it was Sky, Sky and Telescope who, uh, who published this. And basically, it says that uh, the images from James Webb Telescope suggest that the first galaxies in the universe are too many or too bright compared to what ex astronomers expected. Evidence is building that the first galaxies formed earlier than expected Astronomers announced at the 241st meeting of the American Astronomical Society. Can you believe that's been around for 240 years? So basically, that's been around like the entire lifespan of our country. Um, in any case, as, um, as James Webb Telescope views swaths of sky spotted with distant galaxies, multiple teams have found that the earliest stellar metropolises are far more mature and more numerous than expected. So that gives us a much wider and larger variety of galaxies that are out there. So we're going to get into some of the numbers here, but uh, you know, basically that increases the likelihood of intelligent civilizations being out there. And one of the, I haven't actually talked about uh, this one for a while. We did a, paradox it was a beyond the shadows show some years ago and then it did a youtube video on uh different paradoxes and we've talked about paradoxes when we've talked about uh time travel at different times but uh one of these that uh actually it was a it was a question that came up in regards to that beyond the shadows class that i ended up including within the paradox video uh the fermi paradox so the Fermi paradox, basically what it says is that, um, that there is a contradiction in perceived lack of evidence of extraterrestrial life in the high estimates that extraterrestrial life throughout the universe actually exists. Now I say perceived lack of evidence since there are plenty of people in the UFO community that have made a case for ET visitations on Earth. But for the description of this paradox, we'll just go with the mainstream idea that we haven't yet discovered extraterrestrials. So the high probability comes from the fact that there are billions of stars with their own solar systems in our galaxy, and there are billions of galaxies in the known universe. 
With all those nearly infinite possibilities, there should be something out there, right? The way I look at it is not that there's a lack of evidence, but that some are ignoring the evidence right in front of their own eyes. It's really a matter of perspective. So you take our Milky Way galaxy. That's actually the Andromeda galaxy. <laughs> you take the Milky Way galaxy. Um, I've kind of stepped through these photos a little bit differently than I wanted to. Um, we are one solar system within this vast galaxy that we know actually has life, okay? Now, we don't know for certain if other galaxies have life within them. But the fact that we are one that does, it's kind of, you know, score one from the Milky Way. And you can see how massive these are. I mean, basically, there's 100 billion to 400 billion stars within our galaxy alone, okay? And there's at least one solar system here with life. And you can see where the little dot of our sun is here. And there's other things within here that, you know, are quite noticeable to us, like the Crab Nebula, Cassiopeia, Cygnus. Uh, these are things that we are very familiar with here on Earth that are within our own galaxy. Which, by the way, we can't actually see like this because we're within it. We just see that band in the sky. But then you take, like, other galaxies here like Andromeda, and here's, you know, another... We, we really don't know how many billions of stars are within these galaxies. You know, we can't sit there and count them all. We're, we are estimating here, which is why on the low end, we're saying 100 billion. On the high end, 400 billion. But they're massive, absolutely massive. And so the idea here is that the, the, with the Fermi paradox, we're trying to say, well, you know, how can you sit there and say that there's life out in other, you know, galaxies when we have no actual proof of it. And it's just really math. So you have to take into consideration that two other solar systems, galaxies, other planets, really, we are the extraterrestrials. So therefore, there is within our galaxy alone, one planet that we know of with extraterrestrial life. It's us. So if you take that, you know, there's at least one in 100 to 400 billion chance of there being a, uh, a planet with life in your galaxy. And you take the fact that there are, well, what's the number here? Uh, 100 to 200 billion galaxies that we know of, you know, really that's how many opportunities there are for life being out there. So there are at least millions, if not billions, of other planets out there with life, with intelligent life. And now because of this data that's coming from the James Webb Telescope, there's probably even more. And guess what? Those galaxies have been around a lot longer than us, okay? Our universe, so take a look at the universe here. Ta-da, all these galaxies, right? Our universe is nearly 14 billion years old, okay? They say it's 13.77. So where do they get this number? How do they estimate this? Well, we're getting this number right now from the WMAP satellites, and we've talked about this satellite in other classes uh, when, we've, when we've talked about the expansion of the universe. And with the measurements from this satellite, they were able to make detailed observations of the cosmic microwave background fluctuations, which depends on the current density of the universe, the composition of the universe, and its expansion rate. Like I said, we've talked about this before when we talked about the universe expanding. They then use Einstein's general relativity theory to compute how fast the universe has been expanding in the past. And with that information, they can kind of turn back the clock and determine when the universe had zero size. Okay. 
uh, and that's how they figured out this 13.77 billion. There's one caveat to keep in mind, and that is they assume that the universe is flat. I know, flat universe. So, well, <laughs> I guess we'll say this. The flat earthers out there, I don't believe you one iota, but you still have a chance with flat universe. And this is what I say about the flat earther. Have a uh, reality show, send the flat earthers off in a boat to go find the edge of the world. We'll see if they fall off. Ah, <laughs> okay. So that's how old the universe is. Now, our planet is four and a half billion years old. And really, that is uh, based on rocks and crystals around the planet is how they figured that out. And actually, the number is 4.543 billion years old for our solar system forming up and the creation of our planet Earth. So all of this to say that the universe is approximately 9.227 billion years older than Earth and could be even older now given this uh, these new images that are coming from the James Webb Telescope. So basically what that means is that there are systems out there that could be three times as old as ours if they haven't died off already and have been reborn. And what I mean by that is, you know, a universe that's been reborn, is there are physicists out there that believe even our solar system has been reborn out of another. So the possibility that there's other life out there in the universe is far, far more, it, it is, let me restate this a little bit better here. The possibility that other life is out there uh, and is far, far more advanced than we are is to me, not just highly likely, but I would say that that's a near certainty. It's out there. And many of these civilizations are far, far older and more highly advanced than we are. They have had so much more time to develop than us. You know, we, you know, I don't know what it is about humanity. We try to, not try to, we do usually think of ourselves as like the epitome of creation. And I guess that's because, you know, we are, for all the joking aside that you can laugh, ha, 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 um, we are the most intelligent life form on this planet. Um, you know, we've developed uh, all this technology to be able to shoot ourselves off the planet, among other things, with the way that we can communicate around the globe and you know, have these classes and, computers and all this stuff online. Uh, we have surpassed the other life forms on this planet. So I guess that makes us feel high and mighty until we realize that, um, you know, <laughs> we aren't the first kid on the block uh, to have done this. A couple of comments here. Um, so Sarah says, the phrase too many seems to imply that there were expectations on what they were able to see. Sounds like the hypothesis has to go back to the drawing board. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, um, yeah, they were. I think what they were expecting was that they were going to get a clearer image with the James Webb Telescope um, than they had previously, and with the uh, with the Hubble Telescope, which is where they had their earlier numbers. Um, the data that they got from Hubble uh, told them that the universe was approximately nine billion years old. Then when uh, WMAP satellite came out and they were uh, examining the background radiation of the universe, they readjusted their numbers and came up with this 13.77 billion. Now with this information, information from James Webb, it may go back even further. Um, we are still, Earth, four and a half billion years old, but the universe itself seems to be getting older and older and older older, just kind of like here on earth when we're finding, you know, older and older evidence of earlier civilizations on this planet. I don't know what it is about, 
yeah. about humanity that thinks everything has to be so so young when um, really it's far, far older than we have previously conceived. I mean, that does make our planet itself much younger in comparison to the rest of the universe. But um, but the uh, rest of the universe is uh, it's quite old compared to us. Um, okay, Sarah, why do they consider the universe flat rather than using a circular model? Uh, math. <laughs> and I, um, off the top of my head, it has to do with the way that um, they've calculated the expansion of the universe for the way that it is expanding. It's, say, relatively flat because obviously just the fact that, you know, our planet is a ball um the sun is a giant ball you know it's not you know not perfectly flat like a pancake not like a two-dimensional plane but basically the um the width is far more expansive than the height so it resembles a flat universe um honestly i don't quite buy into that but we'll see how it goes. And and maybe it, you know, when you look at a lot of these different galaxies, you know, they're kind of, um, they come in all different shapes and forms, but like ours is a spiral galaxy. So I, and many of them are, when we look back at, um, you know, that's a representation of ours, but this is Andromeda. Uh, this is actually a, a legit photo uh, of Andromeda, what it looks like. So I, I think when they when they're looking at the universe as a whole they're taking something like this and thinking okay that's you know it could be a smaller representation of what the entire universe looks like and they and they might be right and they might be right um so that's i mean because that's a, a galaxy and then when you look at the solar system uh kind of the same thing uh you have the sun and then all these objects are in a very very similar plane but the thing is not all of them are um, you know, some of the, uh, planets that are further out there, like Neptune, Pluto, Pluto's still a planet. Pluto's still the ninth planet. You just grandfather that in. Um, their orbits are a little bit different. So, all right. So that's, that, that's astronomy for this evening. <laughs> we did 20 minutes of astronomy, uh, which is fine. So, Let's get into those. So we've kind of this was all to really establish the uh, the fact that there are other life forms out there in our universe. Now, how might a space-faring race so going to be out there be traveling? And of course, there's the idea that they are traveling to us as well. Well, there's several different ways. So first, let's just talk about craft. You know, our our classic UFOs, flying saucers. Uh, these sorts of things are conventional Newtonian physics. So using, using that conventional Newtonian physics, um, yeah, this would, it would take them, you know, years and years and years. Uh, when we talk about light years, you know, the, the amount of time it would take light to, uh, or the distance that would take light to travel in a year. That's a light year. And they would be coming from many, many light years away. So they would have to be beings that would be able to live very long lives. Or they have a craft that can travel very, very fast. And I know we have our science fiction with warp drives and, and things like that that are able to travel at light speed, um, faster than light speed. And maybe they have developed something like that. You know, maybe they have developed warp drives um, or what they've sent here if they cannot make those uh, they can not make those trips themselves because they would have to live extremely long lives and maybe they can't we don't know uh, maybe what they've sent here are probes and I'm even talking you know about the grays the grays may actually be you know, some sort of probes. Because when you hear of the reports, and this is the the Gray's album cover that uh, you forgot you had in your uh, CD or vinyl collection. 
or even your cassette collection. Yeah, they're looking pretty hip there. Um, you know, reports of the grays have them all looking very, very similar to each other. You know, you don't hear of ones that, um, you know, long hair, short hair, you know, different colored hair, different colored eyes, um, you know, longer jaws than others, you know, some looking more plump than others. I mean, you, you don't hear that. They all very much look the same. So some people have speculated that, um, that they may actually be some sort of biological robot that has been mass produced. Uh, you know, they, they have a, um, what would be a good way to put it? Um, well, I guess uh, this, this might work if you've ever seen uh, Westworld, the, um, the hosts that are within there, which are essentially the robots um, are really not a mechanical robot. Um, they are actually uh, flesh and blood that have been produced, and they basically have a um, a, a CPU, a computer, that's in their head. So it could really be something like that. And of course, rather than make every single one look different, it's much easier to just mass produce them, give them each a job, an assignment, some sort of programming in that CPU, and then send them out there. Um, so, and we would probably do something similar, not necessarily a biological robot, but um, to go visit uh, other planets. I mean, we send satellites out there, right? We, we send probes out there if we knew how to uh, get outside of our solar system. And the Voyager uh, spacecrafts have actually gotten outside uh, the solar system. Uh, not that far outside the solar system. They haven't reached another solar system yet. But um, if we could send something uh, that far out there, we would not put a person in there. We would not put a human in there because they would die long before they uh, reached the end of their journey. So we would put some sort of, of probe in there. And there may be some sort of advantage to it being a uh, some sort of biological life form because we don't understand their technology. You know, they they might you know be able to use organics much better than machinery. We don't know, or they may have figured something out with organics to make something keep um, you know preserving itself. You know, you hear about the uh, the jellyfish that that can't die. It will. Uh, basically keep regenerating itself forever and ever and ever. You know, maybe they've figured out something like that. Uh, that one is for later. I put that in the wrong spot. All right. So the other or another way that they could, oh, we have some comments here. So let's take a look. Um, so Laura says, might be an avatar for each being sitting on a ship somewhere. We're going to get into that Uh in some ways as, as well, but yeah, you're right. They could be, um, you know, they could be sending their, uh, consciousness. We are going to talk about astral projection here in a little bit, but they could be sending their consciousness from wherever they are on their ship or at their home and projecting that across the cosmos, especially if they have figured out, uh, entanglement, in how to be able to, in an instant, manipulate things. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in a little bit. Um, Sarah, do you believe that humans have an interdimensional self that these entities interact with? Well, that's an interesting question because um, they may be able to see us on a different level. We are going to talk about interdimensional uh the interdimensional aspects of of this here in uh, just a bit. So we are going down that road. Uh, and then Sarah had another question here. Is it wrong to assume that other alien species are anything like in regards to action and intention? You know, we can't make assumptions. Uh, and that's, and that's why, I mean, we have a lot of different possibilities out here. I like to keep them all out on the table. Um, I, I don't think we can say that, um, you know, extraterrestrials are, you know, this is their intention here and this is that their intention there and they're doing things, you know, X, Y, and Z. I, th I think we still have to leave all possibilities out on the table. 
All right. So another mode of travel would be wormholes. Uh, they may have figured out the Einstein-Rosen bridge. And we just had uh, one of the articles that we covered last week was the wormholes that we've developed in the lab. Uh, they just did that here recently. Now, it was within a quantum computer, so I still, I still question that a little bit that, okay, you've done it in a computer. Can you do that in the physical plane of existence? Because to me, if you do it in a computer, you're just creating a simulation and it, I would think that you, well, I mean, just put it this way. A computer game is a simulation and you can put a wormhole, a stargate, a, whatever, a portal, whatever you want to call it into a computer game. You'd be like, look, I just simulated a wormhole. So, um, I'm still a little iffy on that one, but they, they have claimed that we have created a very small wormhole in the lab based on that. You know, and this is what we generally think of when we think of, of wormhole. Um, so does it really look like this or is it more like in the movie interstellar, a spherical hole? Uh, and basically the, the concept behind that so i have to do it is if you take two points i need to find a small piece of paper here there we go all right if you take a piece of paper and fold it over as you're trying to get from point a to point b right You've probably seen this a million times now because they do it in various movies, too. So this is the universe trying to get from point A to point B in the universe, right? So what you do is you bend space and time. If you knew how to bend space and time, that's the caveat there. And you poke a hole through it so you can get from one side to the other. So you have your hole, you have your circle. Well, what does a circle look like in 3D space? It's a sphere. Spherical hole. So that's the idea of a wormhole. And if you, we just mentioned that, um, you know, these, there are many, many civilizations out there that are far, far more advanced than we are. And if we are just now getting to the point where we can get, you know, very, very tiny wormhole developed in the lab, these other civilizations have probably figured out how to do that outside of the lab for real in the physical world. And that would be a very, very easy way for them to slip in and out of uh, different points in the universe. And we've talked about when we've talked uh, stargates and portals and, and things like that in our um, some of our ancient history classes, like in Egypt and what have you, that this may be a type of technology that was previously in existence before. Um, when we go to Egypt here in a week and a half, and you know, Jen's going to see it there, that uh, Stargate is all over the place there. Uh, you go all over the world and you see those spiral patterns, which many civilizations said, uh, you know, represented the stars. They represented portals, uh, you know, these sorts of things. Chaco Canyon, they had the star people and they had the spiral pattern representing the portals that the star people used. So, uh, you know, this could be a, you know, technology that we lost, but other civilizations around the cosmos still have. So, uh, all right. Well, thank you that, uh, Sarah, Tom says he's watching, was unable to text or interact. Appreciate that. Okay. Um, and Lori says, abductees say some of their ships are organic. Yeah, that's kind of an interesting interesting concept, too, that uh, some of the ships themselves are organic in nature. Again, not really sure how that works, that you would um, take something that is a essentially a living organism through the cosmos. But I'm not going to sit there and say it can't happen either. Uh, the we talked about it last week with panspermia that uh, there's so many scientists that were against that idea because they said you know how can life exist out in the vacuum of space 
and yet there are many, many people that would say, no, you know, the, the building blocks of life came from space and that basically seeded the planet, whether you believe it came from Mars or somewhere else, doesn't matter, um, that, you know, you had these building blocks of life that came from space. And recently here, and I can't remember how many years ago, um, but they have found, uh, you know, very small organisms like plankton, some microbial uh, organisms uh, in space like on the outside of the space station and things like that. Really interesting. All right. So then, all right, interdimensional. All right, interdimensional travel outside of space time. So we've talked about it before. There are up to 11 dimensions. And something that I don't think people keep in mind or really consider are that there are likely other life forms living within these dimensions. So, you know, obviously we live in 3D space. Well, actually our dimension is the fourth dimension, which is time. But, you know, our, our existence within time is within a three-dimensional space. There's five-dimensional space, which would be outside of time. And each one of these, and when we start getting down into these other dimensions, it could be, some of them are on like a subatomic level and things like this. Uh, again, it's you know uh, physicists doing math and coming up with this. But you always have that possibility if you're talking about these different dimensions that there are other life forms living within those dimensions. You have some of this work, um, I mentioned it the other week with uh, Andrew Collins and Gregory Little's book, Origins of the Gods, which uh, they get into, a, you know, a lot of it is going to different uh, locations around the globe, talking about some of the uh, interesting history and uh, activity at these different locations, uh, the Kassam Cave and things like this. Uh, but one of the things that they keep coming back to are these different events that are basically like plasma-based events. Uh, and some of them would, you know, even like earthquake lights and things like that. We've talked about earthquake lights here before. But they pose an interesting question of, um, you know, are there organisms, are there life forms that can live within that plasma? And that's a, that's a legitimate good question. Same thing with these other dimensions. If there are up to 11 dimensions, are there other life forms living within these dimensions? And if so, do they know how to traverse from one dimension to another? We seem to kind of be stuck here to a degree because there are times that we bleed over into other dimensions. And we're going to talk astral projection here uh, in a little bit, which is really... It's still sort of within our dimension, but in other ways, it's not. So you're kind of like on the edge there. But these other life forms may know how to traverse from one dimension to another. And when they do make that travel, what do they look like when they come into our dimension? Do they come off looking like shadow people? You know, I've covered this a lot, like ad nauseum, right? Where I believe a quote-unquote true shadow person is some sort, some form of interdimensional being, some sort of interdimensional being that has come through here from some other plane of existence. And when it makes that journey, the way its energy and resonance and vibration appears in our dimension to our eyes and we can only see into a certain spectrum of light that it comes off looking like a shadow to us you know are some of these shadows extraterrestrials and when we talk about um when we talk about other life forms traveling interdimensionally i mean they could be here on our planet 
which would be an ultra terrestrial rather than extraterrestrial in another dimension on our planet right here with us, surrounding us right now. Look behind you. <laughs> Might be behind you right now. No. Um, well, it could be. You never know. There's so much going on around us that our eyes can't see. And we and we did talk about this here uh, recently, where you know you think about just the basics of our society today. You know, uh, your wireless internet, your cell phone, uh, the radio; those are all things going on around us right now. All of these different transmissions, we can't see that with our eyes. It's it's going on around us right now, but we can't see it. You can't see infrared. But that is a spectrum of light where you, know, you can see certain things in the dark. Um, you know, so there's much, much more out there than we can see and perceive and sense and smell and, and all of that. So it does make a lot of sense that there are, are other things around us that we don't always perceive. But on occasion... We can because the elements in that particular situation are just right for just a moment, and we can see or hear, smell. You know, people talk about phantom smells and things like that. Um, we get a glimpse of that. Well, the same could be true for these other different entities. So, those again, those would be the ultra terrestrials, but then there are ones that could be from some other planet that are in another dimension and again have learned how to use interdimensional travel to move about the cosmos so that's another way that some can be uh traveling about and then again yeah the question is what do they look like when they cross over into our dimension can they fully render you know we've thrown up a, a variety of different shadow looking entities here and they come in all different shapes and sizes, you know, uh, fully fledged. You know, they look like humanoid beings. Some look smaller than others. Uh, you know, some are wearing hats, some are hooded, all this large variety of different things. But then sometimes you have these interdimensional beings that resemble creatures or small people you have these different stories and legends from around the globe of these different beings that kind of pop in and out of our reality and there's a whole laundry list of them i'm not going to go into all of them right now um, but what i'm going to throw out there because we have talked about it from time to time especially with the uh with the tour to ireland last year you know are the are the fairy legends i threw up the wrong picture first <laughs> Um, you know, and here's a just, you know, classic illustration, uh, you know, with a bunch of, you know, small beings dancing around. But the idea here is that um, they would take people from our world, from our dimension and take them into their world, which was some other dimension. And, you know, the question was, where was that world? Was it still here on Earth? Was it in another dimension somewhere? Was it some other world entirely? So I have a little fun clip, uh, video clip here that I'm going to play in regards to that as we were getting lost in the woods. All right, we're headed down the creepy dark. Oh my God, that is freaking dark. Holy shit. <laughs> <Don't be afraid. laughs> it's like, you weren't kidding. Hey, Jen, where is my golden arm? <laughs> well, it was so dark, I hope they weren't lying. That could be a lie. Oh, come on. I mean, how bad can it be? Come on, Nikki, we're in a group. We're Actually, in a group. the, the Wookalars are going to get us. Anybody remember what a Wookalar is? No. No. Oh, my gosh. The plane disrupts it, but still enjoying the path and we have yet another amazing path to get lost down no well because then you'll find yourself in the fairy realm and when you come back out that is when you will find it to be 125 years later 
And they'll be like, oh yeah, we heard of that group that got lost in the woods years ago. It was an urban legend. Yeah, and that's another, that's another interesting element about a lot of those stories is the lost time where they would be taken away into the fairy realm, into this other world, into this other dimension, and time would not work the same. And they would come back and many, many years had passed in some cases. Some, sometimes it was several days when they thought it had only been five minutes or a half an hour or something like that. Uh, a lot of time had passed. And so time works differently within that world, which makes sense if you're taken to some other dimension, some other place in space-time where they may even be outside of the river of time. It's an interesting story from... Uh, that's in connection to the Alaska Triangle dealing with missing uh, persons cases. And uh, the Anchorage newspaper up there is around 2007, 2008, reported about a boy who had been found by some hunters. And they found him basically, he's just all of a sudden he just kind of almost popped out of thin air. Um, you know, they'd been around that area, hadn't seen him before. There were no tracks in the snow to where he was standing, but there he was. And the story that he told was that he had been taken away by these small beings. He didn't call them fairies, and the description doesn't seem fairy-like. Um, it seems to be other little people. I forget the the word that they actually used for it. But um, but he was within what he said it was in within the mountain. We don't. I'm not really sure why he said it was within the mountain, other than it was like some sort of caves that that he seemed to be inside. And while he was there, he met a girl who said that she had been there for 40 years, but she had not aged a day. They interacted for a while, and they decided, for whatever reason, that he could go. And poof, he materialized right there by those hunters. Uh, very, very interesting story. And that was, that was reported by the local papers. And didn't say that was... Uh, one of her favorite times in Ireland. Yeah, it was day one. We went up to Hellfire Club. It was actually coming back down from the Hellfire Club. That was uh, that was really fun. Uh, so, Sarah, does resonance translate into other dimensions as it is theorized that everything is cyclical? Um, yeah, I mean, everything is is energy. Everything is energy. Everything has its own um, its own vibration, frequency, resonance. So. You know, those, those waves are traveling through the cosmos. Um, that's why we call it the connected universe. Everything is connected. So, um, you know, what's happening, you know, light years away in the oldest parts of the universe, you know, going back to the James Webb photographs from the beginning, those are affecting us here. Um you know, you hear these strange stories, just even on like a physical level of astronauts being up at the space station or when the space shuttle was, um, you know, still in operation, that they had to be careful when they got near windows because a cosmic ray could just shoot across the cosmos, hit them in the eye the right way, and all of a sudden they would have vision problems. You know, and when they got back down to earth and were checked out, you know, they, they would have some permanent damage that could not heal. And, you know, how many light years upon light years was that cosmic ray, you know, coming at them from, you know, so, so everything is connected at some level. So even across dimensions. So. All right, so that's, um, okay, that was interdimensional travel, then astral projections. So this, you know, I've talked about this before in regards to, to shadows, but also still with, uh, with extraterrestrials, and this is what I've, what I've postulated with this. You know, people here on Earth know how to, to astral project. And what I've thrown out there many times is that you, you take a um, you know a grandmother who knows how to astral project wants to go lives several hundred miles away from 
her daughter or granddaughter wants to go visit, knows how to astral project, does so. And, you know, let's say they're, they're sleeping at the time and goes in, uh, looks in on her daughter, looks in on her granddaughter. One of them wakes up. What do they see? You know, grandma's energy is there in the room. You know, she has projected her energy you know, across however many miles into their room. So do they see a shadow? Do they see a lot of people report seeing something like a shimmer type person? So if we are able to project our energy and we're still to the rest of the universe, very, very young at doing things like this, but we can project our consciousness across the planet. And some people talk about astral projecting um, to the moon or to Mars or something like that. Um, you know, and I'm not going to say it's, it's not possible. Uh, that would be awesome. I, I, I don't know. I've, I've never successfully projected. I've gotten close. But if our consciousness can do this across our planet, question is, has a more advanced civilization figured out how to project their consciousness across the universe? And this is kind of, you know, going back to uh, what Lori was talking about with, with the avatar. Uh, can you, even if it's I mean, with an avatar, you know, maybe it's, you're kind of jacked into the matrix sort of thing and, you know, sending that across, you know, but you could be able to do it on a conscious level too. And if you are very, very skilled at this, and this is a technique that you've been teaching your civilization for millions of years, and you have mastered this art, why wouldn't you be able to project your consciousness across the universe? And that could be how some of these beings are visiting our planet. These, this could be what some of these ETs are that we are seeing, that we are witnessing, is they're actually a projection. And they might be coming off as these shadows, these shimmers. Uh, some of them may be fully formed. They, they may be powerful enough to be able to do that. Um, you know, again, if they are that skilled that they're able to project across the cosmos like that, you know, they may know how to form up their energy in such a way that it comes off fully formed. And be able to manipulate the environment. So we do see, and we do see a lot of similarities here between like the shadow reports and the ET reports where you know, coming into the room at night and you see, it, it seems like the paranormal community, because those are their experiences, will say, well, I saw a shadow at the end of my bed or in the corner of the room. And those in the ufology community, because those have been their experiences, are saying, well, I saw an ET in my room and, you know, I was I was paralyzed and they came up to my bed. And this is where this photo came in or supposed to come in that I accidentally clicked on earlier because I put it in the wrong place. The the ETs looking over the, you know, over the person like that. And, and But you get this in shadow reports as well. My very first experience with a shadow person was like this, but it didn't look like that because it wasn't an ET like this. It was, it was just a, a shadow, but other people who have had uh, ET or abduction encounters report seeing this, which is eerily, eerily similar. So the question then becomes, are we really in some cases almost talking about the same thing here you know are some of these shadows just actually extraterrestrials when i had the hypnotic regression um what came out of that was with my first experience it was in uh it was an interdimensional being that came from what was called another space shadow dimension second season's coming out here in um in the next few months and those segments are actually within that so you'll be able to check that out. Um, so and then it brings us back to, you know, the, uh, I scrolled too far here, the craft. You know, if there is a, if they do travel here via some sort of craft, again, what would we do if we did the same? We would probably send some sort of probe down or if we wanted to check it out ourselves, we might not exactly want to be seen 
immediately. We might want to be, you know, like super secret squirrel sort of thing. And so we'll, we would try to hide ourselves so we could watch and observe, take notes, that sort of thing. Well, highly advanced civilization may know some sort of cloaking technology. I mean, that's a technology we are trying to develop ourselves. And um, there are some that believe that we have already at different points in time uh, developed a type of cloaking technology. It depends on, uh, you know, which, which story you believe, but it is something we are actually trying to, to develop. So again, a more highly advanced civilization that's been around millions of years longer, possibly billions of years longer, uh, could have already developed a cloaking technology. However, they may not fully understand the physiology of our eyes. Maybe they, maybe they're just showing up at our planet, um, or maybe they have visited before and they've studied humans a little bit, but they haven't tweaked the parameters just right. And instead of coming off as completely invisible to us, Again, we don't, we see within a certain spectrum to us, it comes off as a shadow or it comes off as a shimmer or this sort of thing. You know, it comes off as like some sort of vague form, like, you know, what's going on over there, that sort of thing. So one other thing that I did want to bring up here, because um, it, it's related mentioned before with um like with the alaska triangle the douglas skymaster um and possibly disappearing into some other dimension some other point in time that sort of thing you see events when they happen like this a lot of times there are ufo sightings extraterrestrial sightings around that same time when this plane went missing in alaska just before it disappeared and just after it disappeared, there were UFO sightings on either side. So I'm not saying some people believe that um, one theory with this is that uh, the UFOs abducted them. I don't necessarily believe that. Well, I should probably just say that I don't believe that. <laughs> I believe that it, if it, truly just disappeared off the face of the earth that it got lost into some other dimension that i i'm of the portal idea but the portal may have been spawned due in part to the ufo activity if they have traversed here from some other dimension or if they traveled here through some sort of wormhole or portal, is the portal that the Douglas Skymaster and some of these other things disappeared through, is this some sort of temporal wake that's been left by the UFO after its appearance? So just saying, UFO shows up via wormhole, portal, some sort of interdimensional travel that we don't quite understand yet and is left. I call it a, a temporal wake. Basically, I got I got the term, I'll be honest, I got the term from predestination when they do the time traveling thing. But basically, the idea is that you are creating a rift or wake uh, in space time for things to travel back and forth through. And in, in that particular film, they use it to travel through time. But in this case, the UFO creates that to enter into our dimension or to enter into our planet, wherever it's coming from. And that signature, that energy could still be there in that spot. So it shows up, it's there. The plane just happens to go through it, disappears. And then later on, a couple of days later, the UFO, not carrying one iota whatever about a plane um it wasn't on its agenda has no idea that disappeared through the rift that it had created slips back through and out so one idea it's one theory of many <laughs> all right let's check out your last uh, comments and questions here 
Um, let's see. So Lori's down there talking about OBE. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, it's something that I have tried off and on to do for years. The one time that I came that close to it, I wasn't trying to go OBE at all. I was just, uh, I was trying to do other things. <laughs> I was trying to do the whole, um, well, I was trying to do the whole uh, somewhere in time, uh, zap myself back to another point in time sort of thing. Um, and as I put myself into such a meditative state doing that, I was a kid at the time. I was probably like 14 years old. Um, I had put myself into such a meditative state that I could feel the waves up and down, up and down. And I start to feel like this little bit of electric tingle. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Stop myself out of it. But talking to other people later on, uh, they told me, yeah, you're just about to go OBE. I've tried to do it since, but haven't been able to get there. All right, everybody. That is going to do it for this evening. Uh, like I said, next week we are going to have our, it's basically our, preparatory class for going to Egypt. Then we're going to be off two weeks. We're going to be in Egypt. And when we come back, we'll do an Egypt recap. So you guys take care. Have a wonderful evening. Until next time, time really exists. <laughs>